This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. Luke Wilson, <laughs> uh, noted actor, one of my favorites. Uh, he's here because he's got another he he's got a big day coming up on sunday showing up colgate luke what's happening how's it going yeah i got this colgate total commercial they'd never done a super bowl ad and i'd never done one before so uh yeah i mean uh, a little up close i understand yeah yeah the, (laughs) the 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 it's kind of like an Saturday Night Live skit or something where I play a guy that's just a close talker. Um, but yeah, it should be really funny. I mean, I've got some friends whose opinion I trust that like aren't in the entertainment business and they've watched it and thought it was pretty funny. Well, so, so why Colgate? Why, why finally doing an ad? Um, I don't know. They just kind of came to me and they really liked the guys that worked at Colgate and then the guys from the ad agency were really funny and good and this guy Brian Buckley the director who I'd know in LA yeah yeah it just seemed to all kind of fit and um yeah it couldn't have been more fun to do and you know it's like I'm older so growing up it's like the ads you know there might like the Spuds McKenzie ad was kind of funnier like the famous Apple ad like 1984 but now you know these ads they like rate them like movies and it's like some work some don't so just hopefully uh, people will think it's funny. Luckily, only 110 people are going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> only. i got to tell you, a few more. What's it yeah. like to be here? Well, I'd never come to this. So, you know, I watch it on TV every year, just the different interviews. But, yeah, it's pretty incredible. Right. And uh, you just can't believe all the different people that are here, like old players, younger players. And then, you know, some like Kevin Hart, and, yeah. like coaches, and pretty much just everybody you can imagine. And then, you know, singers and stuff like that. So, 30 seconds off. Atlanta's become a big movie town. You've, you know, yeah, I'm coming here to work on this thing, Stargirl, for DC Comics in just a couple of weeks. And uh, both my brothers, Andrew and Owen, have worked here. And I know Martin Lawrence and Will Smith are working here right now. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's, uh, I'm, I'm not that familiar with the town, so I'll look forward to getting to know it. Patriots or Rams? Well, I feel like the Patriots are going to win, but I'd like to see the Rams as underdogs yeah. win. But, uh, you know, the fact that Tom Brady's 41, it's just unbelievable. It's so that's unbelievable. pretty cool. It is amazing. It is amazing. Luke Wilson. Good luck uh, with everything. Thank you okay, so much. Yeah. Thanks Looking for forward me. to it. seeing the inside of your mouth uh, as we watch on uh, Sunday. Kind of. <laughs> Be well. Thanks Enjoy for having game. me. Enjoy the game. Thanks. All right. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Carol Masser, Jason Kelly, live in Atlanta. Patients on future interest rate hikes amid a healthy economic expansion, kind of winning validation from that jobs report this morning, which showed robust hiring and measured wage gains. When we're in Atlanta, we get to actually go face to face with our own Steve Matthews. He's Bloomberg News economics reporter with us here in Atlanta on uh, Radio Row, talk jobs, and also to talk about the wealthy power players here in the city. This story is a lot of fun. Um, First of all, jobs report. We're excited you're here. The jobs report (laughs) is very good. This is a very Fed friendly report. 300,000 jobs created, a tenth of a percent increase in the unemployment rate to 4%. Wage gains were slightly less than expected. But what the big picture is, 
Uh, more people are coming to the labor market, and that is good. You're seeing a strong economy, but it's not inflationary. So there's no reason for the Fed to, to move off of its pause. And so and we were talking with Joe and Joe Weisel, Dave Wilson about this. Markets are like, all right, cool. Let's keep going. You, you know, uh, Jerome Powell, a couple of days ago in his press conference, was very clear that they're going to be on hold for a long time. And exactly how long, you know, it will be, quote, unquote, data dependent. That's their word of the uh, of the year, of the last couple of years. But... It, this is not the kind of jobs report that's going to push them off. I mean, right. it's going to take inflation, not just good jobs, to, to make them want to raise rates. But it's like one of those reports, right, Steve, where it's like, all right, Fed, nice job. Jay Powell, nice job. Yeah, if <laughs> right? You, no, I mean, considering Elon this Elon Musk earlier this week was saying, we're going to have a recession. I'm worried about a recession in the next 12 to 18 months. You don't have 300,000 jobs a month in a recession. Right. We're not in a recession. There are no signs of a recession. You know, it's... But happy, happy days. But not overheating because we're not seeing it in wage inflation, exactly. correct? So the Fed There's gotta... no sign of overheating. You know, the, the Fed, if wages were accelerating in any kind of uh, disorderly manner uh, or if the unemployment rate were even coming down dramatically, that would be a cause of concern that, you know, maybe we have no more slack. Maybe we're going to end up with, you know, a big inflationary surge. That's not happening. There's thinking, no overheating. We're here at the uh, Super Bowl, you know, Radio Row, and I'm thinking, all right, Jay Powell, you got the playbook, right? Oh, there you go. I there see what you, you did there. I know. I got a little extra sleep last night. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Steve, while we have you here, you are a bureau chief in, a, in, in Atlanta for a time. You've been here a long time. You know sports as well as anyone. What does the Super Bowl mean to Atlanta? You know, the Super Bowl to Atlanta is the time for Atlanta to show off. I mean, it's Atlanta is excited to be host. I mean, it's a big deal for the city. I mean, in some ways, Atlanta is kind of a small town. It's yeah. like the Super Bowl goes to New York or Chicago. It's like, ah, eh, you know, it's just another game. In Atlanta, it's like, we have the Super Bowl here. I mean, people like are excited. the whole city gets dressed up. It's so much fun yeah. to walk around the streets. There's, like, stuff everywhere. We've run out, you know, of, of cars. We've I run mean, out you, of black cars, you, apparently. You cannot yeah. get a black car. You cannot get a limousine. I mean, yeah. you know... You can try Uber, but uh, right. <laughs> so, no limos. Got to ask you, I mean, you've been looking at the economy here for a long time, too. One of the messages that, and you and I have been talking about this for years, sort of the business of Atlanta's business in many ways continues to draw corporate headquarters, continues to draw big uh, regional headquarters. What's next for the Atlanta economy, in your estimation? You know, the interesting thing about Atlanta, and we just had a story in, in Business Week about uh, what was happening, is you're getting all this migration of young millennials in who are highly educated, starting their own companies, doing really, really well, but there's still uh, a real lack of upward mobility of people who've been born into poverty. So it's it's a very much a picture of haves and haves nots. Yeah. And uh, you know, Raj Chetty, the the uh, Harvard professor, looks at which cities have the worst upward mobility. If you were born into poverty in a poor neighborhood in Atlanta, your odds of getting out of it are worse than just about anywhere. Wow. But at the same time, we're we're drawing all of these you know young, affluent, highly educated blacks and others into the city who are starting companies and doing really well. So it's, it's definitely kind of a mixed picture. Well, that's what's interesting about this story, right? We, we thought it's in the magazine this week, but it is. It's about the growing African-American population, uh, the growing affluence of it here in Atlanta, and also the growing influence, if you look at it politically. There's a huge black middle class. There's a huge affluent black class. 
in some ways, if you go back into like the 60s and 70s, Atlanta and Birmingham were in some ways similar. Yeah. Atlanta had corporate leadership of companies like Coca-Cola, uh, Delta, SunTrust Banks, and Atlanta gained the reputation as the city too busy to hate. We're going hmm. to be the home of the civil rights movement. We're going to be welcoming to diversity. Everybody is welcome in Atlanta. You know, that was not true in a lot of southern cities. And that really has benefited Atlanta and, and, and helped explain where we are now. I want to ask you one more question because I was thinking back to a story that you wrote. It's got to be 10 years ago about downtown Atlanta. And it, was, it painted rightly a dire picture of what was going on in downtown. Yet here we are, and there has been a concerted effort to sort of bring downtown back. Is it working? It's working in a limited way, although it's like right now the action in downtown is really shifted to midtown. Yeah. It's like, you know, a mile away, but it's like if you want to go to hot restaurants and hot bars, you know, it, midtown is really where to be. All right. Who do you like in the game on Sunday? You know, as an Atlanta Falcons fan, you've got to cheer for anybody but the Patriots. Oh, wow. And and you kind of hope that the Patriots get like a 30 to nothing lead in the first half and then blow it. Right. (laughs) Well, and as we talked about, I was in the the bureau earlier. Where's that southern charm I hear And we were talking about the fact, and Carol knows this. because We we were reminded of it last night. Sean McVay, the coach of the Rams, went to Marist. His local boy uh, made good. So I know that more Atlantans, except for the uh, New England transplants are definitely uh, rooting for the Rams. Steve Matthews, what a treat to catch yes. up with you uh, in person. Thanks uh, for coming down to Radio Row. Thanks so much. Bloomberg Business Week, Carol Masser, Jason Kelly. Joining us right now, a conversation with former NFL player Ricardo Laquette. He played for the Seahawks. He's here to tell us about the football player's health study at Harvard University. We'll get into that, but we started with talking about one of the most memorable plays in the history of the big game. Listen up, everyone. All right, I wasn't going to start here, but because you talked about how you come here and you talk with us and we all bring up, like, different plays, Mm -hmm. I've got to go to, I think, what was one of the most memorable plays in Super Bowl history. Mm -hmm. And it was when, I think you were the intended receiver, uh, the Patriots' Malcolm Butler Mm -hmm. at the goal line, interception Mm -hmm. there, um, really changed the outcome of that game. For sure. That that play sticks with you. For sure. Ouch, right? Yeah. <laughs> Were you mad at the coach? I'm never. I'm Were you mad, mad at the coach? Because you guys could have run it across the goal line. Of course not. Of course not. Um, it's player, players play, coaches coach, you know, and uh, we have more of a, a military mind frame. And it's, uh, the SWAT team isn't mad at, at, at the commander for whatever the duty is. We're just there to get the job done. Right. So no matter what you call, our job is to get it done. You can call a field goal. You can call. Um, a Hail Mary. Who cares what you call? It's our job as players to be professional enough to get the mission done. Right. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't get it done. And that's something that kind of stuck with us for a while. But uh, like I tell a lot of people, fans are usually more upset than the actual player. <laughs> I've been talking to a bunch of fans. We were talking about it before yeah. you came over. <laughs> yeah, like we, like because we're built on resilience, yeah. you know. Uh, we've it's, gone, yeah, we've gone through so much in middle school and high school, not making a team, wanting to make a team, not being able to go out. You got to stay in, not being able to eat fried foods. You got to eat uh, baked foods and fruit, and you got to stretch. You got to do all these things. So we've we've took the path the path of of most resistance when most people in life take 
take the path of least resistance. Right. So by the time we get to a point that's major in our life, it's usually easier for us to get over. And, you know, now that I'm retired, I talk to people like, oh, my God, I had a flat tire. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, man. And, you know, like, you know, snap into it. Like, you know, life is about grit. It's about resilience. Well, I want to talk about the work that's being done at Harvard, uh, mm-hmm. certainly looking into um, injuries in the game. Tell us a little bit about the work there and your involvement. Oh, so for me, that's extremely personal. It's extremely personal. For me, you know, my career ended with the injury in 2016 against the Dallas Cowboys where I was laying on the field, and I'm not knowing if I'm going to walk again. I'm not knowing if I'm going to see my mom again. I'm not knowing if I'm going to be able to hug my daughter. I'm not right. knowing if I'm going to be able to throw a football with my son. And uh, that was a very uh, traumatic moment for me, my family, uh, state, of, state of Washington, uh, and I think the entire NFL. Uh, so for me, uh, working with the Harvard Football Study Group to uh, make football safer, you know, I want to make sure that guys like Ryan Shazier don't have to deal with the things he deals with. I want to, and nobody knows what Todd Gurley is going through right now. Yeah. The only person knows is the team doctor from the Rams. Right. So a, as a as a as a staff, you have a staff meeting just about him. So now we're sitting down, and the state of the franchise is 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 in danger. So do we put our franchise player in the game? to win the Super Bowl? Do we tell him the truth about everything that's going on and uh, affect his mental ability as far as on the field? Right. Or do we just tell him, hey, it'll be fine, and we give him a shot where he won't feel anything and he can run, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday after the game, his his girlfriend or his mom has to uh, walk him to the car. Right. Or he can't get out of bed because of X, Y, and Z. It's so basically we'll, whose interests are put first and made a priority. And that's what football is. Well, tell me something. Do you feel like the work, and it's called the Football Players Health Study that's mm-hmm. being done at Harvard, um, is the athletic community, professional or otherwise, taking it seriously, the results? I think they And doing are. something different? We know the NFL has made some changes with helmets and so on. I think they are. I think they're just, they're just waiting on the right group of people to, uh, you know, do the right research and, uh, and get it done. For, uh, for us, we want to be the right group. But what are, what are they waiting for, though? Because, you know, they've, with, with CTE, right, they've shown that most of those professional athletes, those players, when you look at their brains, I mean, most of them have that uh, ailment. What are they waiting for to say, okay, we got to do something differently in terms of sports and professional sports? Okay, so if you think about a concussion, uh, if you, if, uh, and when I talk, I like to be relatable. You know, mm-hmm. I don't like to use a lot of football terms. So if you take an a unboiled egg and you put it inside a glass jar and and if you shake, if you move it slightly and that egg were to hit that uh, glass, something's going to happen. And if you do that from the age of seven to the age of 30, right. that's your brain inside that jar. It, you're, you know, the outside shell, you know, you probably won't leak like an egg, but there's some internal damage in there. And, uh, and it's hard to stop that. Even if you put a pillowcase around that entire glass jar right. and put it, pillows on everybody's head. How do you stop that egg from cracking when you move it? But that's my point, Ricardo. What more does professional football need to understand that they've got to change some things in the game? And that's what, that's what we're working hard to do. Uh, we have some of the top uh, neurologists and cardiologists uh, working with us to yeah. try to come up with that. And the only way that we're going to come up with that uh, a definitive answer is that we get data from uh, the former players. We get data from the current players. We get data from the wives, from the daughters, from the sons wow. of, of deceased players to understand what did he go through, uh, what were some of his symptoms, uh, you know, what did he always complain about. And then we use that data to ultimately create a formula that makes football safer. Got to ask you, would your kids, you have kids, mm-hmm. 
play football? My son plays. I'm the coach. The You're okay reason, with it. You're okay the with re- it. The reason that I'm okay with it is that I, I teach a rugby style of playing. Rugby is kind of very similar to a football, yeah. uh, but they don't wear helmets, and they also tackle. So it, my goal is to teach my son how to tackle without using his helmet. And if I can perfect that, I think I can uh, change his teammates. I can change everybody around him. And I think you, you, change, you change the world by starting inside your community. Former NFL player Ricardo Lockett, of course, played for the Seahawks and telling us, uh, Jason, about that football player's health study at Harvard University. I mean, there's a lot being done. They've got a lot of data, and that's what they're working on, trying to figure out what's a safer play going forward for professional sports and for, obviously, football players. Well, and it's a huge topic, obviously, yeah. obviously that so many people are talking about. You you know, you hear about famous people all the time saying, I'm not going to let my kids play football. Yeah. It was something, just to tease back to it, something that we talked about with Joe Theismann. About, right. That's and right. And he gets into the whole idea of here's what I tell parents, here's what I tell, you know, perspective players here's where i think uh the game is going in interestingly it ties into something we're going to talk about in a few minutes which is sports betting yeah exactly and that is something that really could propel this game forward in a meaningful economic way but as you heard ricardo saying you know my son's playing yep. but they talked about a kind of a different version like a rugby type football but they don't even play with helmets but right. he just says kind of teaching them how to play in a different way so that maybe folks aren't hurt so much. Well, and there's a lot of speculation. Do you take away the punt? Do you take away kickoffs? Right. The, what do you do? That's where so many of the uh, injuries happen. My kids play football. My, my sons play football. Right. And, um, right. Know. Right. Right. There's still that interest. And lacrosse, for that matter, which is also, you know, well, a, a pretty r- rugged game. And they talk about soccer. You know, for, for girls, boys, you know, alike that, uh, you know, you see some inju- injuries and head injuries specifically. Right. Um, so we'll see where it goes. I was thinking about a conversation we had last night with Debbie and Dennis. Kelly, your parents, but it was we were talking about fantasy sports, but also esports right. specifically, and how that is such a tremendous um, growth area. And you do wonder if some of what we see, the fans that are watching games today, or the younger generation, that's where they end up spending a lot of their time. Right, and it certainly is top of mind here. You know, we walk around yeah. Radio Row and we see a lot of uh, a lot of talk about all of those things. It's a different uh, sort of game, but I got to tell you, people are still very, very excited about football. The football game that's going to be played yeah. uh, on Sunday. You just have to look around, not just where we are sitting right now, but around the city. We've both been all around Atlanta over the past couple of days. Look it's at amazing. our hotel. It's like you see all the fans in particular. I saw a bunch coming in uh, this morning getting ready to be here for the weekend to watch the game. Uh, so people from all over the uh, country coming in. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. you got to be a football hero. Jump the gun because you're going to get talking. Football hero, indeed. Brian Billick here with us, NFL Network analyst, of course, former head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, winner of Super Bowl 35, right? It's your Giants. Yeah, there you go. No, they're not my Giants. My, <laughs> they're my Giants. They're her Giants, ah, okay. my Falcons. We can't even talk ah. about it. We are talking to Bob Sosi earlier, the voice of the Patriots, as you probably know. And, of course, our, our producer just tortures me by playing the call from, uh, from that Super Bowl. So what's it like? Put yourself back there. Wow. Sean uh, McVeigh, he's going to take the field. 33-year-old guy. What's he going to be feeling on Sunday? Well, it's, it's a surreal experience. But you've got to remember, Sean kind of grew up in a football family. Yeah. His grandfather, John McVeigh, was with me in San Francisco, really one of my mentors. Yeah. So he's been around it his whole life. He's been to the Super Bowl. He knows what it's like. But still, it, it is a surreal. You walk out. And it just, it's, it, the feel of it is like no game, you've, whether it's the fans, because yeah. it's neither home nor away. 
Right. You know, it's kind of a mix. Yeah. And just all the things that go on with it. And like we're seeing here, I mean, just everything that goes on, the sheer logistics and energy of the entire football world being focused on that game at that time. It's uh, it's surreal. Talk about the playoff games and the instant replay and the questionable calls. What, what do you th- what's got to be done? You know, or non-calls. And I, I love what Sean McVay said. <laughs> Even at a young age, he was wise enough to, to point out. It's it's an imperfect game. Yeah. Uh, the league works very hard. And, and believe me, I'm not here to justify officials. They've got $75,000 of my money in fines. Okay. And, and for the fans to know, they keep that money. That's not just a, you know, symbolic, okay, we'll knock the coach down and act like we're going to find him. They take the money, okay? Wow. So yeah. they're not, I'm not a big fan of these guys. <laughs> but I will say, particularly in being able to step away from the game and see it from a bigger picture, they do a heck of a job. It's a tough job. It's very fast. The call in New Orleans was blatantly wrong. There's, there's no two ways about it. Uh, if I were Sean Payton and New Orleans fans, I would feel the same way. But I hope we don't overreact. I hope we mm-hmm. don't get to the point. Because we will, we will rue the day if we decide we are going to review, review now pass interference, yeah. holding. Now, maybe the helmet to helmet. Maybe yeah. that's one way. In fact, that that was one of the part of the elements. But that's still not going to remove that egregiously wrong error by the officials. It's regrettable, but it is just part of the game. You know, we look back to last year and certainly during the season last season, ratings are down. The game's very political. You got the president tweeting, speaking about it. Ratings bounce back yep. this year. What do you make of that? What happened? It's the NFL. Yeah. There was a book called the, the, the Rise and Fall of the NFL back in, I'm going to say, back in the 70s and 80s. It was an excellent book. And it talked about, a lot of it was about the owners and per, unique personalities. But interwoven inside it was why the NFL is doomed for failure why it's going to reach a saturation point. This is 1970, 1980. Um, It is a great game. It's made for TV. It energizes all of the fans, and particularly now with the... the gambling aspect of it, which, you know, frankly, when you're talking fantasy league, that's exactly what we're talking about. Right. To interact with it, the way people, and I'm traveling all the time, obviously, for my corporate speaking, when I go out to L.A. to do my shows for the NFL Network, people coming up to me in the airport, sitting on the plane, who should I start this week? Yeah. Right. What's, what's on my fan? You know, I don't, I always say, look, I didn't get fantasy fired, so I don't play fantasy football. <laughs> um, but... But that aspect of it, and, and I don't see the cap. There, maybe there's a saturation point, but, boy, I, I don't see it yet. Is there a saturation point with too much technology kind of going back to a little bit? Well, like, is there a point where enough? Yes. Just play and, the game. And I think that might, at the bottom, when it's all said and done, the keeping the replay from going overboard right. and replaying everything, um, the technology can be a wonderful thing, but the league is very conscious. Example. Uh, you have the co- coach to quarterback communicator. Yeah. That's where he gets the place. Right, right. That cannot come from the booth. Now, logically, well, why? Why not? What does it matter? It's the same. But they go, well, no, just the appearance that there's some guy in a booth with a computer. The eye in the Manipulating sky, yeah. the, right, right, the right. game. Just the appearance of it. So they're very conscious of that and want to make sure that that, that human element stays there. 
All right, there are going to be a lot of humans over Mercedes-Benz yeah. uh, on Sunday. We always like to talk about how much it costs. Yeah. And uh, SeatGeek, I know you do some some work right. with. Yeah. You know, they're saying the average price now in the last 24 hours, 3600 uh, It was, uh, and now you, it was the average 5, price. It was about 5000 a few it days 5, ago. It was 5000 Now get in the door for a mere 2600 what A mere. Gi- what gives? You know what, and SeatGeek, I, I love, of course, I've promoted SeatGeek for years, whether it's theater tickets, concert tickets, going to athletic events. But even if you're not a fan or even if you're not in the market for a ticket, you go to SeatGeek, you get the app. They've got the best analytics. You guys are all about that. You're right. always reading the we sign. Are. This is playing the market, yeah. right? Right. And you need the analytics to show when does it peak, when does it dip. It usually bounces back up. Yeah. Uh, the best ticket right now, as you said, it's trending higher in, in New England than it is. I'm from L.A., so I can hit my people. Right. You know what the L.A. <laughs> fan is. Laissez-faire, have a little wine going. Right. Ah, no, nah, let's go ahead and go to the yeah, game. Yeah, let's do well, it. Well, you're going to show up today Fire or tomorrow. Up the jet. You better go to SeatGeek and get it, and and if, particularly if you're a Patriot fan, find a ticket on the Ram side, because it's trending lower in price, ah, uh, and you put in the promo code SB300, you're going to get $300 back on the Look ticket. Look at you. Got it. Call the game. What do you think? Who? You know what? I've been saying it all week long. What I really do is usually, because I've done like 50 of these, yeah. and half of them I pick New England. <laughs> the other half I pick. Okay. That way I'm half, but yeah. the, I'm an no, LA guy. Come on. We're all- I grew up Roman Gabriel, Lamar Lundy, Rosie Greer. The Rams have every across-the-board, every matchup they should win, but you will lose money betting against Tom Brady. Yeah. So you got to bet. I'm, to che- I'm cheering for the Rams, but I'm betting on New England because of Tom well, Brady. Well, we've been talking about a lot of times. You said it's neither a home or away game. But do remember, you know, Sean grew up here, you know, went to Marist uh, High School just up the street. I actually went to high school with my brother. We were talking wow. about it with my parents uh, last night. So a lot of people in Atlanta, Never either in the stadium. bet against Tom Brady. <laughs> I know. I know it's I know. tough. I know for Atlanta, my, my brother-in-law was Mike Smith. You there you go. Be the head coach there you go. Of your Falcons, and uh, uh, and I know that's tough, but yeah, you you better be against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick if you want. All right. Brian Billick, thank you so much. Right. Have Sounds fun at the game. Day. NFL Network analyst, so much more. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.